In order to love rightly, you need to know what right love is. Love yourself. Hey, I'm George Bronner, and this is my imagination station. I'm happy to see all of you here today. This is probably the largest crowd that's been here since I first began. <laughs> and in a season two where crowds usually aren't supposed to be gathered, but I'm happy to see all of you here, I presume healthy and happy. So can I start out my sermon today with a story? Last Saturday, I was riding in a car with my family. And I was just thinking, and I had this great realization about love. And interestingly enough, the next Sunday, which was the day after, my dad called me up to close out for the sermon. And the realization had fit perfectly, seemingly seamlessly into it. And I was thinking about it further. And I realized what I had written down because I had started in Evernote, a lot of the stuff was wrong. And I was going to come up here today and start it out with, I was wrong. I made a mistake. And see, there was no recording of the closing that was sent to me, at least. And I realized a little bit later, after thinking about all that I had said and realized, of everything that I had said and all the stuff in the note that was wrong, I had forgotten when I came up here. I mean, even the fourth line in the sermon, I had stated, love thy neighbor as thyself cannot be done correctly without self-love. And for some, that may sound like a truth. And as a matter of fact, I agreed with it at the time until I started researching and I saw a BuzzFeed article and then everything else I saw from there was spiraling into a storm of mistakes that I could have made. But fortunately, it was not the case. I pursued truth. Can anybody here agree with me on that, the passion and or the pursuit of truth? All right, then. The name of this sermon, though, is Love Yourself, just a little bit differently than I originally intended. Let's go to the verse that this was originally predicated upon. Mark 12, 31. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. You don't have to say it out loud, but ask yourself, do you agree with the common notion that in order to love others, you must love yourself first? If so, I did too. Then I read the HuffPost article. It wasn't even biblical, but it was logical. And I realized it was sort of a sketchy belief. I read further and every article or study I read on the topic showed either the opposite or an altered result to what I had initially believed to be true, which is okay. The ideal results of a path are either, as my dad says, win or learn, and I learned. Then I wanted biblical answers and found my way to desiring God on YouTube, and this is what I learned. In regards to that very same Bible verse, Jesus is not commanding self-love. He's assuming it. An innate self-love that every human being has. A love that is to pursue happiness, and to try and avoid unhappiness. Can anybody here today say that they try not to pursue happiness and go towards unhappiness? Right. <laughs> so Jesus was not talking about a sense of self-infatuation, but rather an innate nature, an inborn instinct. This is the criterion to treat other people. See, whenever you view other people by the same measure, this same meaning of love, 
that as much as you want happiness for yourself, you want it for other people. And as much as you want to avoid unhappiness, you want it for other people. There you find what Jesus meant when he said, love others as yourself. And the simplest way to put it is treat others as you wish to be treated. Now, it's a very radical view that I cannot deny. You don't find many people doing that at all. I mean, when you look at many worldly views of it, of you must love yourself more in order to better love other people, what you find as a YouTuber that I believe was called Soul Studio stated, you find popular narcissism where people are promoting their own self-value and this faint view of what they believe loving others would actually lead to. But no, it's much simpler than that. It goes back to our nature and what we want and should want for other people. This is exactly what Jesus meant. Our measure for happiness should be the same for them. Treat them the way you want to be treated. And there are several biblical examples for this, beginning with the Good Samaritan, the parable that Jesus told. In Luke 10, verses 30 through 37, parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him from his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked by and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw that man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. See, what the good Samaritan did is what he would have liked done to him. Not have himself ignored, laying in pain when he can't do anything for himself, but helping the man, caring for the man, putting him on his own donkey, leaving him in an inn with extra to stay and recover. He gave action. And there's more verses. As Paul applies the command to how a husband loves his wife, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, the church is the body of Christ. This goes back to as you would love yourself, love another, that innate nature. And the last scripture I'll give on this specifically is 1 John 3, verses 16 through 20. By this we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone with earthly possessions sees his brother in need, but withholds his compassion from him, how can the love of God abide in him? Little children, Let us love not in word and speech, but in action and truth. And by this, we will know that we belong to the truth and will assure our hearts in his presence. Even if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. See, what these scriptures show consistently is this action, this innate desire, this seeking of happiness and avoidance of unhappiness being expressed to others. As much as you would care for yourself, as often as you would care for yourself, as creatively as you would do it, 
express that to others as well. It's a beautiful thing. But don't just take my words for it. Take the words, words for it. And additionally, innately, no man hates his own flesh, nourishing and cherishing it. Everybody pursues this happiness in feeding themselves, in resting, and not humiliating themselves, etc. It is in this innate love that we ought to give as we give it to ourselves. But possibly the most important thing about this, though, is giving rightly. We ought always love ourselves rightly. For example, if one was to live in self-pity, that's a form of the love. That's the most gratifying thing for them. They're living a gratifying life by living in self-pity, but it's not living rightly. They're not going to find true joy or true hope in living that lifestyle. All they're trying to do is minimize the pain. And I mean, this is consistent to other self-harmful lifestyles. An individual that overly indulges in drugs or an individual that's suicidal, all they know is that tomorrow is painful and I want to drown out this pain. If an individual is suicidal, then they don't even know what comes after they die. All they know is that as long as they live, it's painful. But that's not the right way to love. So in order to love rightly, you need to know what right love is. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, tell us what this right love actually looks like, its characteristics. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. That's what love is. And additionally, there is a requirement that the Bible tells us in Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. There's a clear distinction that there is a right type of love and a wrong type of love. Now, in order, of course, to know that right type of love, you got to know the word. And it could take a whole sermon plus more to tell you all the specifics of what a right type of love is. If you wish to learn more, pick up the Bible. And additionally, you don't have to learn to love yourself to love others. Just tying this back full circle, regardless of what is commonly told, you really don't have to learn to love yourself because this is innate. It's not a mindset. This is nature. You don't need to learn your nature. You express it. And the way that you express it upon yourself, you express it unto others. Seek to relieve others' pains as you do your own. Being concerned about the happiness and well-being of others as your own. That's the first part of this sermon, but the second part goes back to something I actually did say at the end of my dad's sermon on Sunday. But this part wasn't necessarily wrong. And it had to do with something I came to conclusion about, and that was a matter of you cannot both dislike someone and love them. An example being a parent. Say you dislike them for their disciplinary actions, yet you love that they provide provisions for you. You don't love that person. You love the stuff. It's very difficult and I would say impossible to dislike somebody and love them at the same time. And there was also something that I had learned from desiring God here. But before I get there, I got to tie this back to us. 
Because that was an example involving another person, but this similarly applies to individuals personally, not being able to dislike themselves and both love themselves. Smiling and then looking into a mirror and beginning to frown when you exist in a state where one moment you love yourself and the next moment you dislike yourself, it's a tug of war between pleasure and pain for merely existing. But let me tell you what desiring God had to say. And that is that our attitudes towards ourselves to be to accept our limitations in mind, body, or appearance and trust God as the creator that we got the body that God appointed. Is everybody here aware that they have limits? Limits in every area. How quickly you can think, how much you can lift. I mean, nobody's got a perfect face and you could find flaws with it anyhow. Everybody's got limitations. Yet, these limitations are intentional. See, you need to understand and trust God as the creator that we got the body that God appointed. Nobody got a body that God did not intend for them to have. Trust God that he is wise, good, and merciful, accepting what God has given us. It begins with accepting that this is what God has appointed you, that you are not an accident, that God didn't make a mistake with any part of you, for he is wise and an intentional God. The second part is to dedicate yourself with all your limitations to God. See, when you do this, The days can and likely will be challenging. Say a project defeated you today, but a paraphrase of Marcus Rogers is, God woke you up today so that you've got another chance to face that project. God is aware of your limits and you may not have succeeded yesterday, but God gave you another chance today. See, tomorrow's not promised, but today is. You're living it. And when you live fully with your limitations in mind, but knowing that they're dedicated to God and the purpose he has assigned to your life, it changes your perspective, it changes your performance, it changes the way that you love. It's beautiful. Whatever it may be that is challenging you, whether you need to conquer stress, untangle emotional knots, whatever it may be, when you dedicate yourself with all your limitations, you can conquer it in Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you this, Christ is enough for you. Christ is enough for anybody. It's only through Christ that we can be made perfect, be made whole. Christ will accept you with open arms no matter your limits. Love you no matter your limits. And wants you to trust in him that you are made for a purpose with your limits in mind. God is all-knowing and he knows what you're capable of. He won't test you beyond what you can handle. When you trust in him, there will always be a way, even if there seems to be no way. And I wanted to bring this back to love to close off. Because on one hand, you need to know what the right love is, to love other people, to know how to conquer the things that you dislike about yourself and giving them up to God. But there's a trick of the enemy, and that's in making you think you're not worthy of being loved that nobody loves you, that nobody will ever love you. And it's one of the greatest deceptions that the enemy can play, and it could throw your whole life off the rails for the time that you believe it to be true. For some, they can't love themselves because they view themselves as unlovable, but God loves you no matter how much you love yourself. I can say for sure that you are loved. And I have an example, a scripture that I love. And it's Luke 12, 27 through 28. Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their own clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. 
Why do you have so little faith? I'll say it again. It doesn't matter how much or how little you love yourself. God loves you as you are today. Your limitations in mind, he made you the way that you are. You can't see God, but I got to consistently remind you that he loves you. As 1 John 4.12 states, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. May not have seen him, but you can feel him. May not have seen him, but you can see his hand moving throughout the earth. May not have seen him, but you can see his intentions being enacted. And there's one more thing I want to say. Even though you can't see God, you can see me. And I want to tell you, every one of you, even the people online, that I love you. If nobody else has told you today, I love you. I may not know you, may have never seen your face, heard your name, know your voice, but I love you. God loves you far more, though. (laughs) My love would be like a grain of sand in a limitless desert. God loves you far more than I can say with words. There's not much more to be said other than God loves you. And I wanted this to be a series. And the next message, we'll be talking about loving God. And the third message, we'll be talking about loving other people. But even today, before I preach that sermon, it's never too early to start loving God back giving your life to Christ and loving not only with words or speeches, but with actions and with truth. God will accept you with open arms if you come today. Even if you are walking towards him, he'll run out to you. If you're running towards him, he'll still run out and embrace you in his arms. God loves you. And all you got to do is love him back. All you got to do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's so little that's required from us to gain so much in everlasting life. God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only begotten son that whoever may believe in him may not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. And as I said last sermon, you don't have to come up here but express in your heart that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Believe in your heart and express with your mouth. If you want to learn about him better, download the Bible app on your phone. Get into a Bible plan. You won't have to read much each day, but each day it will bring you closer to Christ, allow you to learn more about him. God is truly good, and I can understand if things have seemed painful up till now, where simply living may have hurt. I may not be able to understand it to your level. One thing that I do know and understand is the experience of trying to run away from those very pains. And something I've recognized time and time again, that the hug that embraces me spiritually, emotionally, mentally, is being hugged by Christ. It's when I go to his word. It's when I go to my knees in prayer, even though I have a hurt knee. Whenever I feel that love and I feel comforted in a world that's throwing nails, that's throwing rocks at me. Everywhere that I turn, the world wants to hurt me. But Christ is the one that protects me, that keeps me. And the Holy Spirit is the one that comforts me. Again, I don't know what you're going through today, but accept Jesus. Get the Bible, read five minutes a day, pray five minutes a day, and one day you may feel like doing more and do it. Show God an effort and he'll give you multiple times more. I'm going to ask my dad to close out for us tonight. This is my sermon. Amen, amen, amen. His messages, they get deeper and deeper. But even though they're deep, they're simple, and it kind of hits you in the right in the heart, right in the soul, right in the gut. And you can understand and feel the message that he is bringing from God. So I thank him for being obedient, and I thank him for just being a good son. Amen. And that's what God wants out of all of us, so that we're good children. 
Amen. Amen. Let's close with just a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your messenger for tonight. We thank you for that message of love, that message of self-love, that understanding to simply treat others as we would want to be treated. So simple, but yet so profound and so powerful. Father, I pray that your blessing shall be over all of us and let all of us be able to feel Christ's hug. That when we go through the pain, if we go through the loneliness, if we go through the struggle, help us to be able to feel Christ's hug. No matter where our area of struggle is, help us to be able to feel Christ's hug. And as we can feel Christ hugging us, empower us to hug others so they can feel the love of God through us. In thy son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are listening to brothersoftheword.com. This was the message titled Love Yourself by George Bronner. This message is number 4099. That's 4099. To listen to thousands of free messages or to send this message number 4099 to a friend, go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to iwanttogive.com. That's iwanttogive.com. Listen to brothersoftheword.com often because brother you need the word. Oh, brothers of-